0: Yeah, but maybe you just need to accept that about yourself. You will always be pissed off by the applications of technology and the narrowings of social life that occur because of it. You will always hate that. And probably, to be honest, you'll be a lot angrier 20 years from now when we all have Internet-enabled contact lenses and are walking around with biochips in our ears.
1: And you're okay with that? Like you're going to get the contact lenses.
0: I mean, I like to think I won't, but of course I will, and you will too. You'll probably get them like a year and a half after I do.
1: All right. <clears throat> Am but, I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I just, I, I, it, it's, uh.
0: Or, or by that point we'll we'll live on a on a dirt road in matching farmhouses, and I'll knock on your door at nine in the morning to borrow like half a pat of butter and some apples.
1: Yeah, like how do we how do we do that?
2: Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten, unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. You're lucky, because on today's episode, it's Saul vs. Alex, Alex vs. Saul. Two white men talking about themselves. Featuring a career elitist trying to find a purpose for his life. A Jewish male shopaholic, as if that's news, you're listening to Landline.
0: I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, so I hope this is good.
1: Is this is your favorite podcast this podcast?
0: Well no, this one's my third or fourth favorite.
1: What was that? Shit. Shit. Don't ever mention another podcast on this show again.
0: (laughs) Well, in time maybe our podcast will be my favorite. And the world's favorite.
1: I guess the only way we can make that happen is if you're the only guest.
0: Well, yeah, and if we spend more time sitting on a porch talking about podcasting and less time doing it over the darn cell phones.
1: How are your AirPods, Saul? The world wants to know.
0: They bestowed a clarity upon my years, the likes of which I haven't felt since about
1: the age of four. So you're you're They're a good with them. you're a pro. Do you have an iPhone 10? Like, just put your cards on the table.
0: I don't have an iPhone iPhone 10. Um, You can see that even you asking me that made me stutter as though I was lying about it, but I actually don't, and I'm proud of the fact that I haven't bought one.
1: Well, here we are. iPhone 10. Welcome back to Landline Podcast. It's your old friend Saul. It's your old friend Alex. We're recording this on a Sunday, but of course for you, my fair listeners, it's Tuesday because you're seeing us next Tuesday on Landline Podcast. So glad to have you back. We really appreciate the uptick of support. Our listeners are skyrocketing. Our listens are skyrocketing. I actually saw one of the most popular shows of last week was an archived episode of The Two of Us, so that goes to show how much quality content we're about to produce in the next hour and change.
0: Now yeah, when when will we have been podcasting long enough that we can refer to earlier seasons as vintage throwbacks?
1: I think right now. I mean, I think it's up to marketing is in the eyes of the producer. So any anytime we want to start marketing our old episodes, um, what do they what do they call those in terms of uh, like when you sell your entire library to the, you know, a different content provider? It's like the archive, what's the official terminology? How much do you think our... That's
0: something like, it's something like Backpage, except I think that's for escorts.
1: <laughs> well, we'll get to escorts. Um, it's Sunday in January. It's the NFL playoffs. It is mid-season of people's New Year's resolutions. We all know those last between five and six weeks, so by now you're out halfway through whatever health and wellness promise you made to yourself. Um, and today's episode is going to start there. Uh, Saul and I are definitely two sides of the same coin. Um, he is chosen... Now, first,
0: first, a brief interjection. Do you think anyone sits up on January 1st and says, I really want to spend this year getting a lot more fucked up, like eating worse, drinking more, maybe taking up smoking?
1: <laughs> yes. I mean... Yeah, well, yeah, there are people like those those Amish that don't the Amish go on a year around the world tour or they have some sort of coming out party where they get to go it's like a walkabout. Do you know the technical term when the Amish go go out into the world and really get exposed?
0: As a Jew, it's my standard policy not to comment on the strange habits of other minorities.
1: All right. So you're right. Uh all in all, there aren't few people there are few people who do that, but Maybe we would all benefit from a little bit of 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 a dose of that reality uh, and goal making that we can actually accomplish. And there's there's a couple of things in that area that I really do want to talk about today. This idea that we are sort of half assing somewhere between purity and uh, pleasure, and the result is like a, a middling drunkenness with a mild hangover versus some sort of earth-shattering LSD bender with a you know new lease on life the next morning. But um, before we it's get total,
0: to— it's a, total, it's a total white wedding dress syndrome. You want to look pure, but at the same time, everyone knows that you're probably going to get
1: fucked. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess. Um, but Saul, here we are. It's January 15th for all intents and purposes, and you're 15 days into your month of sobriety— This has been an annual tradition for you for how for how long? How long have you chosen January as a month for clarity and um, purity and uh, puritanism? Since
0: 2018. Usually I choose a different month.
1: Because really is that is that true? This
0: year it just happens to be January.
1: All right. Well, how's it going? Because I got absolutely drunk last night. I got my first good drunk of 2018 last night. So I have a hangover. I have some toxic shame. I have a bunch of cultural criticism. I have opportunities lost. I have fears around my alcohol consumption. I think we should just talk about what it's like to be a functioning 35-year-old alcoholic. So I would love to hear. Let's
0: get get into it. Let's get into that.
1: Well, Saul, you've had so many times in your life where you've been either feast or famine. You're you're well-known to do weird stuff like go on a six-mile run in the middle of the winter at night to prove right after you've eaten some 10 course meal with a bunch of glasses of wine and people think I'm making up a caricature of you, but you literally do that. I don't know whether that's so that kind of story can get told during your uh, memorial service. And you just want to make sure you had an impact on the earth while you were here. But you do have a weird way of either going all the way in one direction or all the way in the other. And, And sobriety is the best iteration of that for you, I think, because you really know how to binge, and you really know how to purge. So
0: feast or famine—it's always been my modus operandi. So
1: what? Why did you decide not to drink in January?
0: I think I mean it was it was it was a few different things. Um, I was having a discussion with a significant other who noticed that I do generally love drinking, and while there wasn't any sort of like stop this, it was more of a mutual kind of discussion about maybe we could take a, a month off and enjoy each other's company, just not sitting on bar stools. So that is part of the Part of it is honestly that I feel that hitting the reset button every now and then is important, whether with U.S.-Soviet relations or with your own, you know, regard to alcoholism. Um, I find that if I kind of go into a, a comforting, snug little cocoon of sobriety, Um, then some of my more loathly caterpillar tendencies are washed away, and I emerge free as a metaphorical butterfly to uh, flap heartily in the air once again. So I really do feel like not drinking for a while and being sober helps you appreciate both how fun and hateful non-sobriety is. Uh, It clears your head. It really does. It makes you appreciate the values of sobriety. I went to bed at 10 o'clock last night. I woke up at 6.30 this morning, and it was on my run by 7. Felt great. Guarantee I felt better than you did. And finally, it's a good way of just sort of um, you know, being able to you know, hit the brakes every now and then. If you're driving down a long hill, um, you don't just coast and pick up, pick up speed every now and then. You want to tap the brakes, make sure everything's working, all systems go, then you can continue on. So I think that's my kind of trifecta philosophy when it comes to this subject.
1: All right, well, we're going to get into if you're just proving something to yourself in order to allow you to binge even harder those other 11 months because I think moderation is the one major feature of both of our drinkings that com- is completely out the window, or is at least maybe it's not out the window, but it's definitely a challenge. I just want to compare my 5.30 or 6 a.m., morning to yours if you're getting up and lacing lacing up your shoes and getting on whatever weird long lululemon pants you bought yourself for hanukkah this year i woke up with that hideous hangover feeling totally parched i had to pee so badly it stunk like vegetarian chili in my home because i had a big pot of it on the crock pot I immediately realized that I hadn't even had sex the night before, which for me, the only point of getting drunk is to have sex. And if anyone ever wants to know why all these frat boys are butt chugging in basements in Pennsylvania and doing all these crazy things with alcohol, it's directly related for their number one goal in life, which is to somehow get themselves drunk enough that they can have sex like it just falls in their plate. Of course, we all know that the direct opposite happens. And yet at 35, I still think... That if I get blitzed, I'm going to fall into a sweet love affair with somebody, in this case, my wife. So felt horrible about missing that opportunity because we were at a costume party and everyone was looking extra sexy. I then struggled to the bathroom to realize that I hadn't brushed my teeth, but I had smoked one and a half marble reds that were three and a half months old that I brought out for the night. My entire mouth felt like an ashtray um i prayed to god that the baby wouldn't wake up because then i might be responsible for dealing with him and you know lose that fat dad two and a half hours sleep in which i was awarded somehow i have no idea i was how i was on the good side of that um and then just felt generally like i'd spent too much money which i had because i'd bought pizza and cabs and liquor beforehand and beer beforehand and liquor at the party and et cetera et etc cetera, et cetera. so I mean why would I ever get into a situation where I did that what what is it in us after having so many nights over and over and over and over again that end up with that 5 a.m. panic wake up that we continue to go out and make that happen
0: I mean, there's so many there's so many questions I have for you and, and so many topics that I want to cover just all embedded within that monologue. But take us through, first of all, not just your physical symptoms upon awakening, but your emotional ones. What, what were you thinking with regard to your alcohol use at 5 a.m. when you were staggering off to the bathroom? Probably for the fourth time in that hour.
1: Okay, so this is interesting. Everyone knows what a hangover is, and there's a million podcasts about that, but your question yields an interesting answer, I hope. My struggle is always, what did I say last night, and do people dislike me? So, so you know, it's like a trampoline. The higher you get into the air, the further you fall. And so... The more fun it appears you're having on that Saturday night where you're having some philosophical conversation with someone by the keg as the eighty music, 80s music spins from the DJ loudly in your ear. It seems like you're really breaking through and making progress and getting to the bottom of some solution or articulation or challenge or whatever it happens to be that. That, you know, every reaction has a separate but equal reaction or whatever the, flu- the 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 term is for astrophysicists. You then have that fall emotionally of do you embarrass – do I embarrass myself? Do people dislike me? Do people not like that I was loud and that I was entertaining and that I said something that was pretty uncouth and that I was like sort of on the edge of some sort of like – political incorrectness that bordered maybe on sexism or racism, but actually wasn't that because I'm neither of those, but I was the one who was willing to actually make the observation that we were all so white or we were all so boring or we were all so myopic. So in the moment, I'm willing to do it, and maybe it's the alcohol itself that lubricates my mind, but in the aftermath, I'm always wondering if everyone's like, God, I can't believe that guy was there last night again and he was loud. And he was embarrassing and he's always talking about stuff I don't care about. And can't we just have a nice, simple night where everyone agrees that Barack Obama was the best president and that we should recycle and that Lyft is better because they don't have sexist board members? It's like it's so boring to me. And so there's that. Why don't you chime in? But then I do want to set the stage because it actually even ties in to a greater point that I have around these parties that we're all going to, including weddings
0: Well, I think part part of it is that that's that's absolutely the worry that every adult I know in in that category, I'm including me and you, uh, about when they drink. You wake up and really physical symptoms, um, you know, unexplained, uh, you know, food or bowel symptoms, um, you can edit that out. Uh, Really anything anything at all takes a backseat to just sort of the emotional, like, shame and shock of like what might i have said and to be honest when you're drunk your only self-image is kind of this like um like this uh this tall like scandinavian wearing a tuxedo and top hat just sort of tap dancing through life leaving a wake of you know tittering grins and you know sexually excited women and then you wake up the next day and you realize that you're like good-looking scandinavian alter ego um, it's just a sort of um, horrible, goblinish degenerate uh, sitting in the sewer, you know, throwing mud patties at people when they walk past. And usually, not always, but usually the relieving part is to kind of like gingerly poke around over the next couple of days and realize that you were probably somewhere in between or that everyone else was enough in the middle of things that they didn't really notice either. I think that's one of the great redeeming things of going to a party and misbehaving is just banking on that fairly likely statistical chance that everyone around you was, if not drunk enough to not remember anything that you said or did offensive, at least drunk enough to sort of um, write it off. Or maybe they weren't really paying attention to you in the first place, dealing with their own thoughts. I mean, certainly really risky. The risky part, to be honest, is putting yourself in settings where you're either the only one drinking or let's just say like you're three hours ahead of the curve. That's really where you don't want to be.
1: So we had a little of that yesterday. We went to a uh, German beer bar. It was 55 and sunny on January 11th or whatever it was on a Saturday. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law and nephew were here visiting it's sunny. It's beautiful. We all walk over there with the dog. It's like it's like a vacation. It's like a Saturday vacation. The NFL playoffs are on the TV. We got food card food. We got a great table. There was this amazing table game where, like, it looked like we'd have to wait forever, but I sat down with the right people who were just about to get up, and we got us an amazing spot with the sun where the baby could run around and the dog wasn't in the way. It's like a George Costanza moment of getting the perfect parking spot. And, you know, I get a, a German beer, and that's all well and good. And, you know, I wouldn't want to live in a world where I couldn't do that and feel okay about myself, right? I mean, this is this is where you and I fundamenta- <laughs> fundamentally agree. There will never be a time when it's a warm winter day and you're wearing sunglasses and a comfortable wool jacket and you're not going to have a stein of beer.
0: I never want to see that day. Exactly. I never really want to.
1: So then what I end up doing is I say to myself – well, why don't I just get a full liter? I mean, for my second beer, I'm going to have a full liter of beer because what's not to like about that? It'll be a great photo. People think it's cool. I don't even know what it is. I just like the idea of... It's like you only live once. It's YOLO. It's like YOLO... We
0: don't need to... Let's not not drag YOLO into this, but let us also remind those unfamiliar or um, forgetful of the metric system that... A liter of beer is a magnificent magnificent thing, but it, it's a big, big object. Let's just talk for a moment about how big a liter of beer is.
1: My sister in law couldn't really pick it up. Right, exactly. Like the mug is glass. It's like a beer stein from a com. Like it's like from Beer Fest or whatever that movie is. It's like a typical. Like Dundel wearing blonde Austrian woman with like a stein of beer, that's a liter, and it weighs a lot uh because it's thick glass you don't, you
0: don't drink it you don't drink it one handed
1: right, so okay, I'm gonna get a liter, and then I'll have had a liter and a half of beer, which is a lot for one o'clock in the afternoon, but I don't know, it's Saturday and I'm alive and I have a son and I'm seeing my family. I mean, am I wrong? Would it have been better to get three half liters? Like would that have made me a better person?
0: No, they might've stayed colder a touch more, but on the other hand, um, they wouldn't have been a liter of beer so far. I'm with you.
1: Okay. So then we go home and we, you know, we all do our thing and we kind of, I, I, I take it down a notch. I don't have another beer until probably five and the games are on and, Look, it's tough when you're a big sports fan like I am and you're on the West Coast because these games start early and they're pretty boring. And I'll address that with Mike and Chris in an upcoming podcast about the NFL in general, the state of landline state of the NFL, which will be upcoming. But ultimately, whatever. It's Saturday and I'm and I don't want to be hungover. I mean, you don't want to have a liter and a half of beer at lunch and then go out to a party and be a Debbie Downer. So. I admittedly drank too much going into the party. This is an 80s prom party for my wife's office. It was multiple offices that work in a communal area with a courtyard, all throwing the party together. It was in a new building that her company built, so it was like a giant open almost warehouse space, 80s DJ. And my sister-in-law visiting is a hairdresser, uh, so we all like really went, went over the top on our hair. I mean, my, I got my hair blow dried, which by the way is such an amazing feeling. I don't know the last time any of you men out there have had a warm blow dryer on your scalp, but it really can't be beat. Um, and then it was like all like fluffed up and sort of tussled over to one side. I had a big suit on and a gold chain and all this chest hair coming out and the girls looked awesome with their hair and. It was amazing. So we go to the party, and it's great. So
0: just just, just, to say, so far you're describing a situation where, if anything, you hadn't been drinking enough before showing up. Right.
1: So, you know, I was up there, and I had been smoking a little weed, too, which is legal in Oregon, and I don't care what any of you think of me. And, you know, maybe I should have had a better strand of weed. But, I mean, this gets to the main point. Like, let's get to the damn fucking part, as they say in Don't Be a Menace to South Central while well, drinking my juice in the hood. The, the the reality is we get to this party, there's a couple of kegs of beer, there's some serve yourself liquor, I made myself tequila, there are jello shots, so they're like, you know, they want people to get a little tuned up. Anyone who's anybody in Oregon has their own weed to smoke, so it's not like you have to ask around, like, I offered my weed to somebody out on the deck at one point and like, you know, they said no, but there was no judgment there. But here's my question, Saul, and I've been saying this about weddings. Why are we at a point? where or not why but i am angry that we have now decided alcohol and weed are the two drugs that are okay for all ages social situations and when we want to tune it up a notch when we want to go above and beyond we want to feel like we're Making that eighty dollar babysitter really worth it, and we are going to make our wives, our our wife's incredible outfit worth it. Nine months after she's had a baby, that we're just supposed to use two and a half times as much weed and alcohol because all the other drugs aren't allowed to be mentioned, they're not allowed to be used, they're not allowed to be like obtained in any sort of efficient way where we could pool some money and get them. And this is what I think about weddings. Weddings should have a hard drugs area. Where the people who are interested in really dancing until 3 in the morning can do a little ecstasy or a little mushrooms or a little acid or a little cocaine or whatever it is. I mean, these are naturally derived substances at some level. They've probably been laced with chemicals since then. And you know what a good 80s prom party is? It's a bunch of people blown out on cocaine dancing to Flock of Seagulls. It's not a bunch of people full of IPA dancing to Michael Jackson so, like, that. let's talk about that. Isn't, is it my fault I drank too much, or is it society's fault for not offering me better drugs? Well, me personally,
0: I think it's indisputably the latter. Uh, and I think that you're making some actually really intelligent points about the shittiness of drug availability at weddings. I think 100%, when you're throwing a wedding, you don't need to be thinking about any question except what's going to keep people on the dance floor for the maximum amount of time until some sort of bad noise complaint or episode shuts everything down. That should be the driving force behind every part and every stage of wedding planning. Now, granted, I've never had a wedding myself. And granted, I've skipped more weddings than I've actually attended. And I've not been invited to more weddings than I've skipped. But still, the point remains that I completely agree with you. I think there should be a it's sort of like, um, like they have photo booths set up at some weddings. You should have one of those, but like full of drugs. And when you want to go do them, uh, you go behind the curtain and you come out and realize that you're 10 times more fun than all of those waterlogged IPA soldered staggering around, barely able to put one foot in front of the other.
1: And if you compare it to history, like if we take a Braveheart era wedding scene from a movie or a book or a fairy tale... There is some level of um, it's the same thing as the diamond conversation we had a few weeks ago, which is there is a scarcity of alcohol in those worlds. So on a wedding night in at midsummer spelled M.I.D.S.O.M.M.E.R., there is a bunch of mead and, you know, honey wine and, you know, maybe like uh, boysenberry liquor that's pulled out of the cave or the, you know, the storeroom. And everyone is having this fanciful, light, summery, dance-until-the-sun-comes-up moment, and there are bagpipes. Or,
0: or in, the case, in the case of the historical... Uh Hungarian wedding from the 1400s I was reading about two days ago you roast a thousand pound ox that it takes 20 strong men to carry and you just eat that until you get sick
1: <laughs> so so, but like it is like this fanciful incredible thing now everyone can just take an Uber and slap their plastic down and get shots of you know whatever George Clooney's tequila is Dos Calientes or whatever And, you know, everyone's been to a bottle service in Vegas at one point and people are complaining about a wedding before it even gets to like the toast because of how something's decorated or why the ceremony took so long. God forbid it's in a church. Everyone hates that. And, you know, so there's no sort of fanciful excitement around the consumption of the giggle juice. So instead we've replaced it with just mass quantities of some sort of hip cocktail or beer or hot champagne or whatever that everyone's like oh great they had this like let's do an Instagram post with it like that was a good party they had vove or vove or viv or whatever you're going to call it and there isn't any fun around it and I guess I'm trying to again defend myself like I'm just making a uncomfortably politically incorrect comment out of after i have like my third tequila soda at these 80s prom parties because shouldn't we like mix it up here a little bit like we're all living in the ivory tower we've all made it we're all taking hired cars to parties that we order through our smartphones we're like all the food in the world. We just had like a green papaya salad for lunch before we had our hair blown dry and like makeup put on. And we're living in the best times for consumption that have ever existed. So
0: but here's another, here's another point in my opinion, by far the only thing worse than someone who cannot control himself or herself at a wedding is a person who is, too much able to control himself or herself that's the real danger to me the, the danger is not the one person that everyone knows i don't care who you are you you certainly know one person who is a bad time controlling themselves at a wedding and we certainly know that person i won't say his name on there
1: um i did just get like i was telling you yesterday i just got the, the 55 inch 4k so that's you know far and away the best thing that's happened to me and in a long time. Um, although this weekend I did get a free breakfast buffet at Shoney's because I was in uniform. So that also was sort of a wow, a win.
0: But everyone has that person. But I think, you know, let's, let's call that like a grade of D, but the real F students are the ones who are sitting in chairs when they're supposed to be up and moving. The real F students are the people who sneak away at 11.30 p.m. without saying goodbye because they know that people will talk shit to them because they're going home at 11.30 at night from a wedding. The real S students are the people who seem to be sucking the energy out of the room instead of breathing it into the room by virtue of their own misbehavior and by being too protective about their level of shame that they're willing to contribute for the greater good.
1: Well, so that's it. I want to misbehave, and so I think I'm using the wrong conduit. I don't think alcohol is the way to misbehave. I think that... There are other ways of taking a stand against the like increasingly boring and overwhelming tide of sheep behavior regarding socialization, food, technology, jobs, vacations, purchases, Amazon accounts, movies. Everyone is just wants to be part of the culture that everyone else is a part of, and there are very few people who are stepping outside the box and saying, "No, I don't want to live this way." And I'm using alcohol as a crutch to exercise my right to say that I'm sort of bored by the society that I've become a part of.
0: Now you're you're almost talking as though, it, you know, you'd be right at home with like the, you know, sitting on a bus with the electric Kool Aid acid test, um, saying that you want to go to a boring situation and dose everyone, and then have them understand how much more fun it is.
1: Well, I just wish we could, like, can we, like, fill out comment cards before a party and say, like, on a scale of 1 one to 10, how fucked up are you planning to get this upcoming Saturday night? Because, like, I want to know, like, where the median score is so I can prepare. Um, because every single Saturday night costume party I've ever been at, I've, like, decided that I should probably try to get as drunk as possible. And I think that that's appropriate.
0: Well so here's so here's the real sort of, you know, um S twenty two that that we're getting mired in. Um you want to wake up not feeling like your behavior ruined the world or tarnished someone else's time the night before. And many of those sweaty, tossing night fears after a night of drinking Resound around the fact that you're not sure if you did or not and might never know, and someone might just talk shit about you for the next decade because of it. But at the same time, an equal fear is of just being really boring and going into a boring room and being boring and having the people around you be bored and then going home and being bored by that and leaving no impression whatsoever and not even having any point in going out in the first place. So we're really sort of caught on this pitchfork, a two-timed pitchfork, not three, um, between this time of shame and the time of boringness.
1: So what's the solution? I mean, the solution is to not go to... to like, if you're not going to get drunk at these parties, if you're not going to push the edge, if you're not going to try to go over the line in order to figure out where it actually is, the alternative is to just completely disengage from this sort of social lifestyle and instead... Your morning is set, you know, at a campsite as you pack up in order to like summon a mountain with crampons and backcountry skis. Because I mean, that's it. I don't, you know, that's a whole other world that is exciting to me. But it's almost like you were talking about. You woke up and went for a run. Like, where did you go for a run in like the concrete jungle that is Berkeley?
0: Well, no, I actually went for a beautiful run through the Berkeley Marina with views of the entire bay.
1: Okay, so that's pretty good. Um, but it's a little bit of ke- have your cake and eat it, too. Is it, it makes sense that we all we want to have, like, urban gardens and we want to have, like, rural dance club parties? And
0: I think you're – I mean, that's, that's a different note, but I, I think really what we want is to not be boring and to be fun and not to have to feel bad about ourselves doing something offensive. And yet at the same time, we don't want to offend or not in a way that tarnishes one's reputation in some sort of irredeemable way. You don't want to be the person who walks in the room with everyone saying, that's the person who's going to leave a, a trail of debris behind him this entire night. And I can say that full on knowing that I've been that person. But at the same time, you don't want to be the person who leaves the room and no one even notices because they were so boring and meek while they were there that there was no point in their even presence.
1: Well, you're pretty you're you're, you're pretty dependent on the crowd that you're going into and uh I felt that I was an outsider last night and maybe my behavior was a reflection on that. So uh, Okay, that's
0: that's fair, but no one is better than you at, at blaming the crowd. And <laughs> yeah. I mean that is a compliment. No,
1: I mean but they all had fun. And they got it, and they were with their friends, and they knew how to, like, do the amount of alcohol consumption that was right for them. And, I mean, no one— I I, I
0: know. I understand, I understand that, Alex. But but we're friends, and part of the reason I'm friends with you is because I like being in a room with you and having you take me through, like, a detailed bullet point list of how shitty everyone is and how stupid it is that we're there in the first place.
1: I don't know. There should have been plates of— recreational drugs, or finger sandwiches that are appropriate in your social circle. That's all I'm saying. If you're taking me to an 80s prom party in 2018 at a $15 million building in an urban center full of people who are in all ways in the top 0.0000001% of the wealth on planet Earth and yet are still all considered middle income in the United States, then, like, let's really go for it. Let's just, like... Let's let's like I don't know. Let's just like have a, you know, like, 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 ecstasy induced orgy or something like that. Like, let's really call a spade a spade and occupy the space in the way we're sort of pretending that we're going to instead of having a half assed caricature caricature caricatization. No, that's not a word. I don't know. I don't know, Sal. So I'm, I'm spinning my wheels here. Well, maybe,
0: okay, maybe maybe the moral of your whole story is that there should be an element of personal accountability, and instead of drinking liter beers before going to this thing,
1: you should have just been out buying glow sticks and snap bracelets. I think what I should have done is I should have had two martinis in the 20 minutes before I got to the party, and I should have been exercising all day. Well, trust me,
0: martinis seem like a good idea for weddings, but they're not. I, I could go on for a really long time about that.
1: Hey, everyone. It's the time of the show where we checked out what happened last week on Landline. Remember, every episode available on Tuesday. We will always see you next Tuesday on Landline. We talked with Jeff, the hedge fund thousandaire, about his stock portfolio, his picks for 2018, the rise and future fall of bitcoin and a lot of other fun stuff technology commercial real estate etc let's give him a call ask him how he thought the podcast went jeff corrado jeff you're on landline
3: how are you doing, Alex?
1: Doing great. How's your reentry to Boston?
3: Uh, it's good. Uh, stomach problems have subsided, but uh, I've lost substantial weight since you know Portland. So you know, I had a little bit of uh, uh, you know hidden benefit of I guess coming uh, up to you guys. How are you doing?
1: Things are good. We uh, have had beautiful weather. I just did a long podcast this weekend that people are listening to right now about functional alcoholism as a thirty-five-year-old, which I think you have some insight into. You've been, you've, you've, you haven't had a drink in how many months?
3: I don't know. I haven't had a drink
1: in like maybe.
3: Well, I I had one day in October fast uh, because I decided to plan that before I actually stopped. Decided I was going to stop drinking at least for the time being, um, but you know, once you chase that dragon, you know it's hard to uh, hard to get out of the
1: sauce. Yeah, my guest this week, Saul, is doing a sober January, and I don't know. I think it's a it's a it's a a thirty five year old, well educated male in the United States. I think comes to a time with drinking in their mid thirties where they kind of have to figure out what road they're going to go down. And I think the road of uh, compromise and what's the word, where it's not either binging or purging someplace in the middle. Can't even think of it. That's how bad I am at it. Moderation. Moderation is difficult to achieve. Anyways, um, what do you think of the podcast? Have you been spreading the word about landline in New England
3: I have. I actually had a buddy that went back and listened to a couple of more, and he's actually kind of been in the brainstorming phase of, you know, some his own concept. And he really actually enjoyed uh, listening to your stuff, and I think he's going to draw some influence from it as well.
1: All right, great. And um, was it weird to hear yourself on on the internet? I know you're not used to things like that.
3: No, you know, actually you made it very easy to have organic discussion. And I think, you know, when I listened to it, I started off a little nervous and then kind of cleaned up towards the end and then, or in the middle or maybe uh, slowed down a bit towards the end. But uh, no, I enjoyed it very much.
1: All right. And has anything come up in your mind since the pod regarding your, your stock, stock market prognosis for 2018 or like, have, is anything as you've, Re entered the world of blank, boring commercial real estate that we talked about in the pod. How, like, what have your post pod reflections been?
3: Yeah, so um, a couple of things. I mean, the market just continues to go higher. You know, it loves these types of stocks that, uh, you know, I was talking about the high cash flow domestic businesses that are now getting a huge tax cut. So, um, you know, you're getting some good news out of the economy as well, which is kind of interesting. I'm not sure. Did you see Ford is going to invest over $10 billion in EVs?
1: I didn't see that. I saw that the Honda Accord was the 2018 car of the year, and I saw that GM is really into driverless, but I didn't see the electric vehicle by Ford uh, thing. I wonder how that—how is Trump going to spin that for his— Positivity for the economy if he doesn't believe in global warming and loves burning gas.
3: Well, the good. So I never understood why this is not a bipartisan issue here. You get margin expansion. It's more right. I think it all comes down to oil employees. You know, EVs take away, right? Because you need people on the ground pulling the oil out of the ground. So I think. That's purely why you can't see him come out pro-EVs, but I just never understood. I mean, there's so much cost savings we can get. Um, But uh, what i was actually going to kind of get into is I had uh, dinner with my old mentor last week. And he's a fund manager in town, and he had an exhort here. Uh, and we were kind of talking about the same thing that you and I were talking about, except he's more of a gross manager. He likes to look at companies that may not earn huge profits, but five years from now will look really cheap. And we were kind of talking about, again, you know, what could perform well, what couldn't. And one of the things that came up was small cap biotech has had, you know, some amazing winners over the last decade, let's call it. and. You know, it looks like there's a lot of good tech in the hopper. But given that that space really doesn't earn high profits and it's kind of a binary, uh, let's call it a binary um, process where if the drug doesn't get approved, the stocks get, you know, slaughtered. Uh, you could see some, you know, interesting stuff go on, I guess. But I think, you know, that was the most interesting discussion I had over the past week was trying to figure out what was it going to outperform the market and what wasn't because that's really what a fund manager, manager's job is to uh, beat the market on a risk-adjusted basis, let's call it. Um, so it, well, it was an interesting discussion.
1: Well, that's the kind of insight we had last week on Landline. Remember, folks, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Jeff and I talked Bitcoin We talked infrastructure spending. We talked the tax plan. Jeff is very informed. He's got some picks, uh, some non-traditional picks, and he thinks Netflix is going to build or buy a movie theater chain, which would be awesome if you had a subscription to a movie theater chain through your Netflix. So we're going to leave it there. Go ahead. Oh,
3: oh, just really quick. I found out that there is a business that's doing this right now, and they already have a million and a half subscribers called MoviePass. So – out there. There's a subscription model. I think this is prime time. Uh, that there's you know to gain exposure to the cinema space. It's really beat up right now and could do very well. IMAX is publicly traded. It's kind of interesting.
1: All right. Well, for next time, and we are going to have you back. Can you do some research in your free time on how you could sh- how one could short the NFL? Because I've been talking for years on this podcast about how I feel like the NFL is in its ultimate decline, and although this weekend's games were more fun than ever, I guarantee the ratings were down, and I'm really fascinated by this idea of less and less people playing football, and less and less of a supply of quality players, the overrunning of replay, all the stoppages, all the commercials, all the product tie-ins. All of the screens in the stadiums, I think it's a recipe for disaster. So maybe next time we can have a conversation about that.
3: Yeah, I can tell you why I think WWE, which is a publicly traded stock, plays into that because Vince McMahon is going to try and launch the again. So that would be an interesting discussion. Let's plan on it next time.
1: All right, thanks for coming, Jeff. Thanks for potting. We love the show. It had great ratings. I'm telling you that. Because I'm the master of the ratings here, or something like that. I'm just trying to have my Trump moment. It was amazing ratings. It was the biggest ratings of all time, and actually, actually, it was good ratings.
3: Good. All right. Good. Yeah. I'm glad we broke. Uh, did we break ten? What's that? Did we break ten listeners?
1: We have more than ten listeners. We have an exponent. Ooh. We have an exponential number above ten. And we're still chasing Rick Steves. So for all of you out there who like a competition, help Landline beat Rick Steves by spreading the word, telling a friend. And, you know, soon I think I'll take newspapers ads out. And we're going to, you know, everything is cyclical, Jeff. I think we should start investing in newspapers. It's time for them to get hot again.
3: Warren Buffett's been buying them. You smart people are talking that way. So, anyways, um... Well, yeah, I don't wanna, you know, filibuster your uh, your your new episode. So let's uh let's plan to follow up in a couple of months. Let me know when.
1: All right, buddy. We'll be in touch. Stay warm. Enjoy the chowda and go pats.
3: Go pats, my
1: man. All right, All bye, right. bye bye, Jeff. Bye-bye. Well, I mean Well, where are you now? I mean, you're sober for two weeks, so what, like, where? what is your relationship with drinking? Like, in two more, you're so stubborn that you're somehow able to actually not drink. How's it going for you? Like, when, is, when has been the hardest time to turn down a drink?
0: To be honest, the the couple hardest times are when I work, as you know, I, I work late. You know, for instance, the other night I got back from the office at 10.30 at night. Now, granted, I didn't go into the office till about 3, but the fact remains I got home late. And I was tired and hungry, and frankly, the only thing I really wanted to do was mix up a cocktail and sit down and, you know, hang out with a New Yorker or something. And people might give me shit for that last part, sounding pretentious, but it's really what I felt like. Or yesterday, for example, also at the office during the day, coming back, turning on the Patriots, uh, I would have loved to pop some sort of cap off, some sort of beer, and have that accompany me instead of unscrewing expensive half liter of pellegrino. So, I mean you- there's times you know it's 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 those issues. I find with not drinking that it really is just basically launching into space. And if you know um Deep Blue or Blue Origin or SpaceX or anyone's listening to me, you know, fuck yourself. But essentially the the first week you just have to get out into orbit and power through it you need your engines firing you need that booster rocket just just crushing you along and then after you make it through that first week you more or less emerge into weightlessness which means not wanting to drink and you don't really care one way or the other there's times that might serve as a trigger you know if you're out on a rainy night and you see people uncorking a bottle of wine you get home after a long day or if you're going to an 80s prom party But by and large, you start to realize that not drinking is secretly more fun than drinking, except everyone just pretends it's not.
1: So what would you have done last night, just not gone to this party? If I were you? If you were you. If you were visiting here last night and you weren't drinking, what would you have done?
0: Of course I would have gone. I would have gone and been miserable just the way that you were, except I would have woken up feeling great today instead of miserable.
1: And so you're, you're, you don't, you don't, like, truncate your social schedule around your drinking. Like, you're happy to throw yourself into a situation where you might be tempted and then just, like, suffer through what it's like without the alcohol.
0: I, years, several years ago, while I was not drinking, I went to one of our good mutual friends' wedding, And I wasn't drinking during it. And as you know, our group of friends doesn't like that sort of attitude. And so the entire night I pretended I was chugging vodka sodas, but they were actually just club sodas. Neither the bartenders put in extra limes to try to fool people. And did I have the best night of my life? No. Was that the best wedding of my life? No. But you have a responsibility and you carry it through.
1: All right, well, what do you think I should do? I mean, do you think I need to go to AA, or do I have a problem? I feel like I I have one and a half beers every night, and then every third Saturday I really get tuned up. And occasionally on a Saturday I'll have three or four beers by myself. You know, I mean, like, at the house.
0: Well, assuming you're not lying about it, and I I think you might be, but assuming you're not lying about that, then you fall within the realm of accepted medical behavior, which is having one to two drinks per night for an American male is fine to do. So, as far as that goes, you're fine. Now, if you are lying about it, and if you're having one and a half beers, say, over lunch, and then, like, another three over dinner, then that begets the question, what's the longest, Alex, that you personally have gone without tasting a sip of alcohol?
1: In my life? When was it?
0: Yes, and when was it? it
1: um, was probably ten days, like, two years ago. Actually, no. Right before my wedding was five years ago, and I don't think I drank for probably three weeks.
0: That's a long time.
1: And I, I do – I think it's an interesting topic for just us to comment on this sort of like day versus night because I know that in the wor- area of the world we grew up with, although our parents certainly come from different lineages and different you know, cultural norms, that drinking before five in New England is like a problem sign. But once it's five There's a
0: hard and fast you don't drink before five.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like
0: if you're rich you drive a Volvo. You don't you don't buy the Mercedes.
1: Right. So, you know, you can get home to Riverside on the train um from your New York office job, just like Mad Men shows, and you can have a half a bottle of vodka or a whole bottle of Doers or whatever it is But you're not drinking Although in the Mad Men world They were all drinking at lunch But you know You know what I'm saying Basically like There aren't a lot of It's
0: not not acceptable
1: No there aren't a lot of Midday beers You know now The West Coast is a different world If you're going sailing In Sausalito Then there's some Anchor steams in the galley um, And everyone might be having one Or some you know Flinty rosé That your friend's Brother-in-law's Winery made Um, but I don't necessarily know that that sort of timing thing is the best judgment of alcoholism. Um, if I think the question I ask myself is great, I could stop drinking. Maybe I should. Who gives a shit? Like what's what, you know, it's like drinking is just one of so many different forms of self-medication that. The people on the earth are currently giving themselves because of their inability to cope with a whole host of very challenging emotional problems that we have as a species or as a modern species or as, you know, rich people with quotes around it uh, compared to the rest of the world, whether it's antidepressants, whether it's alcohol, whether it's marijuana, whether it's, um, you know, addiction to pornography. People are, whether it's addiction to social media and cell phones, people are basically scratching their brain where they itch whenever they can. And I, I guess I wonder whether or not we need to kind of start fresh in these situations where a party comes up and truly be able to, as a group, all ace that party in a way where it's unique and special and last in our mind and worthy of all the work and money that went into planning it and i don't know about you but i think for many people in our set as they used to call it the weddings have become and last night i didn't go to a wedding but the weddings have become just redundant and overdone and we're all sort of just like spoiled with them and we don't even respect what they're actually signifying except for maybe that 10 minute moment during the ceremony when we actually have to pay attention
0: you're right and still sometimes don't
1: so i don't know are you
0: ready so okay what would you do if let's say next saturday you had a new uh, well, let's go for variety. Let's say you had a seventies costume party next Saturday night. Would you leave? Would you lead your life differently, or would you repeat your behavior?
1: And we're we're saying like I I I'm definitely going. Right, I'm not going to not go. Um, you got to go. You got to go. Yeah, I think I would probably exercise the day of number one. I would come up with a time during the day where I wasn't allowed to drink before, not because of some cultural norms, but because it seemed like the best way to actually have a good time. Um, I might ask to have a job at the party just because that keeps me sort of occupied. I mean, that's another thing about me. I've thrown so many parties. I've catered so many parties. I've been the one selling brick oven pizzas at so many parties that just standing there idly making chit chat. I mean, I'm in a 70 I'm in an 80s costume last night trying to tell people about what it is I do for a living. And it just seems so stupid. It's like, that sounds horrible. It's like, what are we so what, what, like, what are some topics we can talk about? We can't talk about Trump. We can't talk about politics. We shouldn't be talking about work. I don't want to talk about commercial real estate development in Portland. I don't want to talk. You know, it's like what, do, what, what common conversations that you ha- do you have with strangers that are meaningful? Um, I didn't answer your question, but I think you know me being me picking up trash, me refilling the chafing dish, me making sure the beers are cold. Maybe me stand like maybe I should have put the kegs behind a table last night. And put myself behind that table and become the bartender, and I could have drank as much as I wanted, but I could have also had a job and be able to make a funny quip and a comedic observation and had like flirting with people, male and female, or over the course of the evening that would have had some cadence and structure that would have made me feel a little bit nor- more normal in my place at the, at the pl- at the party.
0: Well, I, lo- I love that, and and let's face it, part of that is that you're your finest in social situations where you can come up with that sort of activity. If if you're outside, you want to be the one to set up lawn doors. If you're inside, you want to be the one to pour a cocktail. And while doing that, um, that makes you shine more of what your personality and humor is. I think, I think that you're at your worst where you have no control over your setting and where you're just kind of stuck against a wall trying to figure out, what you're supposed to be doing
1: well that kind of bridges to another topic we're going to talk about which is friendships and Saul, you mentioned in our pre-production meeting for this podcast by the way hope you guys are enjoying 503-894-8480 is the landline number you can listen to us on soundcloud itunes stitcher Number one thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. We need you to continue to do that. And I do see the numbers ticking up aggressively on our statistics. Remember, the goal for 2018 is to have more listens than Rick Steves' International World Traveling Guide. So thanks again for listening. Pass the word on about Landline. So Saul, you were mentioning that you had an opportunity to really forge some great new friendships at the conclusion of graduate school um and that uh,
0: at the dura- the duration of graduate school.
1: Well, I mean, you must have had friends in grad school, but they've fallen off cuz I have had some experiences in the last few weeks that are directly related to my performance at the party last night, my enthusiasm for talking to strangers, my lack of a general friendship group that I can rely on for healthy socialization and my reliance on technology as a means of getting those friendship pats on the back. So I'd love to hear your kind of point of view on that and some of the second-guessing you're doing yourself.
0: Well, it's an interesting thing. I I think that, or it's not an interesting thing, but I'll still talk about it as though it is. I think that when I was in grad school, I had at least a half-dozen people who I considered genuinely close friends. And, there were, you know, there's another smattering out there, you know, who you, you kind of move in the same circle and you like them and sometimes you don't like them and you just pretend to and, and so forth. That's grad school life. But at least a half dozen people, right, if you had asked me, where will you be in, in 10 years in terms of your friendship, I would have bet anything that we'd remain very close, whether that means having the occasional phone conversation getting together once or twice a year, um, sending each other funny text messages, planning a reunion that we're not actually going to go to, you know, whatever, however you define that. Well, it's been 10 years, just about. It's coming up on 10 years. We're now approaching the 10th year of me graduating grad school. And I find that out of those people, I almost literally cannot remember the last time I saw any of them, I almost literally cannot remember the last time I, I talked to any of them. Out of those six people, I should say, and those friendships um, have just sort of become like um, not so much roadkill. It's not like they were like smashed and like scrambled into pieces by an oncoming vehicle. I think more like um, just sort of uh, to continue the animal analogy, if if it just like ran out of food and slowly starved to death and died by the side of the road they have all been essentially extinguished by the passage of cruel time as well as geopolitics meaning that we're just not in the same place so i guess the lesson learned is you really got to hold on to those things or move to the same city uh, or i don't even know uh, maybe maybe it's like an aquarium and you just got to keep freshening the water and understand that some of it is going to get flushed away and other newer water is just going to come into replacing
1: well you you, were, you, were, you well you, I mean you work relatively independently and so do I and I think that's one of uh, the great realizations I'm having because I got through grad school much more recently than you did but whether or not those people are actually I mean what is a great friend is a great friend a image that you put in your head of somebody because that's what makes you feel most safe are they actually such a great connection for you that they understand you in a way that other people don't? Or did you actually share an experience in a space and a series of time with that person to allow you to them to see you at your best and your worst and everything in between? And they saw you jumping for joy and crying and they saw you drunk like I was last night and they saw you at the peak of your physical fitness. And so you feel comfortable around them because they know you, they know all sides of you and you know that they'll be there for you because you can rely on them to act in a certain way in all of these experiences you've had or are they uniquely suited for you um like a soulmate and that connects to my comment about where you work because we both don't have colleagues we work with every day uh in the way that I think a lot of people with traditional jobs do and I wonder if although people complain about work and complain about colleagues and complain about the environment of structure and hierarchy that they have to have in their work environment, that that actually does take up a huge amount of that emotional interplay that people have with one another when they go to a traditional office or traditional company environment. Um, Because I really liked the people I went to grad school with, and I felt that they really got me But that was because they saw me in the classroom, they saw me in small groups, they saw me in presentations, they saw me at the lunch table, they got a great um, amount of exposure to who I was. And now I'm struggling with the fact that my closest friends remain people like you, people from high school, people I grew up with, people I've known my entire life. And the way that I'm stoking those relationships is through my cell phone and that really, like, a text chain around the NFL playoffs, which I'm currently involved in, like, one that probably has 800 texts in the last three weeks between eight different people who are all gambling against each other. That is, like, my friend group. That is where I go right before I go to bed to check if somebody said something funny. And that is the antithesis okay, of so, lo-
0: just, so just to interject, do you, do you, maybe we're different on this, do you genuinely enjoy when your phone, like, vibrates a lot and you look and you have 35 new text messages. Because I'm not on that chain, but I'm on other similar ones, or at least I used to be. Does that actually give you a good feeling? Because it doesn't give me a good feeling. Well, I'm pretty- These are people I like. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is like random strangers stressing me out. But when I look at my phone and I realize that I have 35 new things that I have to read about a subject that usually is not like exactly in line with like where my thoughts are at that particular moment. I I don't feel like this, like, loving vibe
1: of friendship. Well, that's sort of... Is that too far? No, no, not at all. I mean, I think it's the kind of how, like, you and I like to use the toilet for a number two differently, too. So it's just we have different styles for her the appliances in our life. My cell phone is, like, a fluid open door gate of laughs and stupidity and sports scores and checking my podcast and reading politicalwire.com. I don't have a Facebook account on it. I'm not on Twitter and I'm not defending my use of a cell phone any more than you. Cause I think that I'm just as addicted to everybody else. And this podcast is a way to try to break out of that. But what I'm saying is that like, I think you feel your cell phone is a little bit more professional and sacred, and that you don't want any, like, garbage on there, where I'm like, I, I'll i just fill my phone with garbage pretty early on, and then be fine when it just, like, piles on, you know, like, you have work on your cell phone, which I do too, to a degree, you had J-Date on your cell phone for a while, you had, you know, I don't know, I'm not trying to, like, make fun of your cell phone, but I just think you have a different standard, um, for... right. this is, this is good... This is good. I like this. Well, I mean, it's like you have different tra- – you, you want different traffic on that road. And I just – I think if I start taking my cell phone seriously, I've lost. Like, my version of going to a wedding and sitting down and watching everyone dance and not drinking is, like, being worried about what my cell phone traffic is like. So I just – my phone is always on silent. I don't I, – I leave text message chains. I silence them. I do the, like, do not disturb thing. I'm usually the one talking the most on them, so it would be very hypocritical if I was complaining about them. I'm usually people saying the most uncouth things. Like, we had a football pool this year that I was doing emails to communicate with everybody on because I think that actually email, as we've discussed in previous episodes, is a lost art, that we should be doing these group text chains on email because people can sit in front of a computer and, like, Write something funny and well put together and well written instead of just like firing off text. But whatever, that's not how the world goes. But what I did is it started out at there was a joke about micro penises because we bought a, a Chinese micro blogging stock with our with our pool money last year. So I changed it to micro penis and I started calling it the micro penis pool. So every time I wrote an email, I would put micro penis in the subject line. And then I just made that morph into, like, who has the smallest penis so that everyone who opens their emails up on their phone has something that says, like, so-and-so has the smallest penis of anyone in the subject line because I'm hoping to get them in trouble with their cell phone because I'm a nihilist about this stuff. So that's how far my point of view on this goes. And that was such a long answer. I'm just yammering into this microphone. I'm sure everyone's turned this off by now. Um,
0: that's fair. I think I think we approach our phones and what we expect out of them differently.
1: But but let's get back to the, the the core issue here, Saul, which is that I'm using my cell phone as a way to feel that I have close relationships with contemporaries. And these people are, in fact just friends from my youth who now live all around the country. And our text chains are like really show a level of love and humor that I don't see anywhere else. But is that good enough? If the funniest text chain on my phone is from my old friends, is that a service or a disservice to my mental health?
0: I think that's fine. I think that's great. I really do. And you don't think that's if that's.
1: Like you you don't like You don't turn that into We should all move home And actually make those jokes Like over a pint At the local Irish pub
0: Well some of the people On that chain uh, Did just that (laughs) Yeah that's
1: true But I mean Like at what point Are we just all So so hypocritical Like we're not living In the moment
0: Well we are hypocritical All right. That's sort of the. I mean, to me, that's the the essence of this podcast. I'm I'm talking on a landline podcast on a cell phone. I mean, I every moment I talk to you is hypocrisy by definition, at least on this podcast.
1: So what do we do with that? Because I was talking to my brother-in-law this weekend, and he says he just doesn't give a shit. He's not going to try to make other people act in a certain way, and yet somehow I've been given this gene where that's all I seem to care about doing is to influence people in a way to change their behavior so that we can get back to some other existence of human existentialism where technology wasn't so dominant.
0: Yeah, but maybe you just need to accept that about yourself. You will always be pissed off by the applications of technology and the narrowings of social life that occur because of it. You will always hate that. And probably, to be honest, you'll be a lot angrier 20 years from now when we all have internet enabled contact lenses are walking around with biochips in our ears
1: and you're okay with that like you're going to get the contact lenses
0: I mean I like just think I won't but of course I will and you will too you'll probably get them like a year and a half after I do
1: alright Am but, I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I just, I, I, it, it's, uh...
0: Or, or by that point, we'll, we'll live on a, on a dirt road in matching farmhouses, and I'll knock on your door at nine in the morning to borrow, like, half a pat of butter and some apples.
1: Yeah, like, how do we, how do we do that?
0: Well, I mean, this sort of goes back to how do you, you know, how do you stop being friends with a group of people you were really close to and, and like a lot and the answer is move across the country from them and don't talk to them anymore. So I mean the your the answer to your question is sort of the, the reverse of that.
1: Uh. <clears throat> All right well look it's
0: a tough one. If it was if it was easy we would have solved this in minute one of our first episode and then we wouldn't have a podcast. Well I think but, we- the the point the point of our Sunday afternoons is to wrestle with life's thorniest questions and that's what we're doing
1: all right well what what are you know let's uh let's lighten the load here a little bit we've got a couple minutes left um what's 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 going on on the no drinking bright side let's talk about you know some of the things that have inspired you over these two weeks of not having anything to drink
0: Uh, so in terms of what I do with my time and money, that I'm not now that I'm not drinking, I don't know. I
1: mean, what do you want to talk? I can take this part out. Like, what do you want to talk about for the next fifteen minutes? Like, I think we really went and we went pretty deep into sort of my psychosis, and now I'm ready to get out of there because it's uh, it's weighing on me emotionally, and I it's like we're at a dead end of a of a spiral right now.
0: Well, part of it, is, look, as you know i'm a I'm not a man who could not be called materialistic i I have tendencies that make me walk past stores and make me want to buy things from those stores and that I do usually that involves some sort of expensive suede jacket or like you know a pair of double monk strap shoes but it could be anything and and that's fine i've I've accepted that about myself but at the same time, I was cleaning my apartment today because I believe in doing a winter clean instead of a spring clean because then it's just clean in the springtime. And I was cleaning and I was finding these things. I found Ziploc bags full of cords. And I know for a fact the cords don't do anything, or they're for like a Bluetooth device that I thought was like high tech nine years ago. And I found hard drives and and batteries and and stupid little objects and like a, you know, sticky bottle of lube that God knows where it's been. And like all these different like paraphernalia. And in my mind, I was experiencing this fantasy of being robbed. Like I was literally just hoping that like two or three burly men in ski masks brandishing like machine guns would like charge through my door and just like rob me except, like, ideally not take the stuff I care about and just, like, grab baskets of, like, you know, cords from the late 90s and, like, take those instead. That was honestly something that was going through my head.
1: There's could be a business... There's a You know, there's a business called Panic Room, I think, where everyone gets locked into a room and it's... You have to figure out a way to get out. Um, and they'll do, like, pop-ups in warehouses in different cities. It's not called Panic Room. It's called something else, but... Sounds like there could be an opportunity to start a business where when you want a bunch of stuff removed from your house, you could actually hire people to come in and pretend like they're robbing you. There's definitely like some BDSM sex or emotional high that people get out of that. And you could like put little pink sticky dots on all the stuff that you didn't want taken and they could just con- 100% 100%. Like I don't I
0: don't want uh, the Japanese woman who's now a celebrity telling me how to fold the clothes in my closet.
1: Mary one want...
0: Yes. I, I don't want her. I want like a group of people to like kick down my door, like tie me up and take my old cords and then leave without taking like my cat or like my
1: wine bottles. <laughs> oh my god. And they could like videotape it and you could put it on a YouTube channel and share it on social media.
0: I would and you could watch it, and you could be like clapping and giggling.
1: <laughs> Sounds amazing.
0: Anyway, as as one 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 more for the one more brilliant idea for the incu excavator, whatever we call it.
1: Oh yeah, the business excavator. The excavator. The biz- yeah, the business excavator. That's good.
0: Well, there we go. That's we'll, we'll close our podcast by telling any young entrepreneurs out there: go buy some guns and ski masks. And a bunch of stickers with little pink dots and find people to steal from, provided that it's only outdated technology and like old socks. Everyone's going to be happier. Brilliant idea. All
1: right. Did you have a good time on Landline? Are you angry? Or are you going to come back? Do you feel like it's just a therapy session for me and that I need to see a professional? Or what are your takeaways?
0: It's good. I'm worked up. I'm annoyed. I'm going to go to yoga for an hour and then lift weights.
1: All right. Because well, I'm
0: sober. Like, right? that's kind of what you do.
1: Alright, well thanks for coming Uh, Call the Landline 894-8480 That's 503-894-8480 Leave a message Saul, we're waiting for some messages from you Um, All our Landline podcast posts on Tuesday We'll see you next Tuesday on Landline Thanks for listening Thanks to
2: Saul Talk to you guys again soon Adios Goodbye Ishi, we love you Landline is hosted, written, and produced by Alex McKay Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. Taking this show to the top, baby. You're listening to Landline.